took a few weeks off, recharged the batteries, and feeling pretty good. I'm trying something new this episode. Reading the summaries felt like it slowed down the conversation I would have with guests, and I didn't love that. So moving forward, for a few weeks at least, I'm going to record the summary solo at the top of the show and provide a uh, timestamp to the best of my ability for when the conversation starts. This week, we've got Fabio returning, so get excited. Skip ahead to 15 minutes and 21 seconds to just get into the conversation. Also, you'll be hearing some new music during the summary. Shout out to my boy, Bugatti Elroy, for creating this great beat. And other podcasters, please hit him up on Twitter if you're looking for some new sounds. Shortbox Summary is free for listeners, and it always will be. The best ways to help me grow the show are free, too. Look at that. That's cool. Please like, share, and interact with the show on social media. You can find us on Twitter and a newly created Blue Sky account, thanks to our friends at The Last Comic Shop. You can leave a review on iTunes or Spotify, even if you listen somewhere else. And you can always write in questions, comments, or concerns you have to at Shortbox Summary on Twitter and Blue Sky. Now... Let's move on to the show. Just a reminder, House of M8. We covered that in our previous episode, our big blowout anniversary 50th episode. That was incredibly cool. But just for for chronological sake, uh, that came out November 1st, 2005, and we are picking up a week later on November 9th, 2005. We're talking first up about Decimation, House of M, the day after. It's a one-shot. It was written by Robert Hunter and Chris Claremont, with pencils by Randy Green, uh, lettered by Virtual Calligraphy, and edited by Mike Martz. At the Starlight Casino in Atlantic City, Fred J. Dukes, a mutant better known as the Blob, wakes up in the middle of the night disoriented, drowning in his bedsheets. He stumbles to the bathroom and turns on the light to see folds of skin like a theater curtain draped all over his body. His mutant power was enlarged fat cells that made him virtually immovable and invulnerable. It left him with Wanda's three words, no more mutants at the end of House of M. The Blob story isn't unique. This is happening to thousands of mutants all over the world in what will be known forever as M-Day. Loud cries ring out from Duke's room. Hotel management and police fear the former mutant terrorist they've let stay at the hotel, but they feared what he might do if he were denied entry even more. Police kick in the door and see a sobbing Duke struggling to cut through his skin in a failed suicide attempt with a steak knife. In desperation, he turns to the police officer and begs for his gun so he can finally end his new life. In Manhattan's Lower East Side, the community known as Mutant Town is hit especially hard. The time-traveling mutant known as Bishop presides over his devastated village. He still has his powers, but it seems like everyone else has lost theirs. Police and health services monitor the area and care to the affected, fearing it's the opening act of a terrorist attack. Unaware of what's happening with Wanda and the House of M, nobody has answers. Across the Atlantic and Paris, X-Corp, the mutant outreach foundation established by Professor Charles Xavier. I'm pretty sure that was during the Grant Morrison run, but don't hold that to me. Um, is destroyed in a terrorist attack when a truck crashes through the lobby and explodes. All other X-Core buildings are shut down immediately. Parents are calling the mansion, Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters, and inquiring about their children. Some are relieved their kids have lost their mutant powers by some kind of miracle, and others are frustrated their kids are still mutants. Emma pours herself a cocktail and informs the X-Men, the school's teachers, that the number of active mutants on campus has dropped from 152 to 27. They decide to send their non-powered students home and become a haven for those out there still imbued with their gifts. 
at the Pentagon, Dr. Valerie Cooper, the Deputy Presidential Advisor for Parahuman Affairs, <laughs> what, a, what a job title, finds that her project, the Office of National Emergency, has been activated without her knowledge, and she is quite something pissed about it. Back in Mutant Town, gunshots are heard, prompting action from Bishop and the only human officer not scared of mutants to investigate. They enter the apartment of Hannah Levy, who's shooting a pistol at thousands of bugs streaming across her bedroom floor. Hannah's body used to only be able to metabolize insects, but M-Day robbed her of her power and identity. Instead, they're the ones eating her. I went to bed and my world was normal, she says. I woke up in hell. Why is this happening? What did I do that was so wrong? She asked Bishop in tears. Cyclops calls his friend Jamie Madrox the multiple man, capable of duplicating himself and becoming a one-man army. He requests help, but Jamie and his friends Guido, Strong Guy, and Rain decide to remain in the city and help how they can there. Across the pond in England, Pete Wisdom, a British Secret Service agent with the ability to throw blades of hot energy from his fingers, showing he's one of the last enhanced agents in the British government, he's briefed on his next mission to find the missing Captain Britain in England's time of need. Cyclops calls Storm and does his best to get her to come back, but she feels needed in Africa where there are fewer resources to mutants, and fears that her disagreements with Scott and Emma would shake faith in mutant leadership, but promises to come back if things get truly dire and she's needed. Pietro sits in tattered clothes on the streets of Manhattan and despondently repeats that he only wanted what was best. Jubilee skateboards through an abandoned mall in Los Angeles and can't find the strength to call home. Colossus and Wolverine help see some students return home with their parents and then walk the grounds to talk about their current defeat and how no villain has ever hurt them like this, and they regret how there's nothing for them to punch. Suddenly, there's explosions on the tree line and the familiar face of Morlocks, a group of mutants who live in the sewers of New York City, are sprinting towards the school as fast as they can as if their lives depend on it, because in fact they do. They're stopped by a group of humans, the Sapien League, who subdue and crucify them on wooden X's. Wolverine and Colossus arrive in time to obliterate the Sapien League and rescue the Morlocks. On their way back to the mansion, the all-too-familiar giant metallic humanoid sentinels land all over the school, surrounding everyone there. So this was a one-shot, and this kind of set up a whole bunch of books. After this, there was a relaunch of Excalibur, I believe it was called New Excalibur, trying to cash in on like the New Avengers uh, etymology of, of, of book titles then. There was also a scene with Jamie Madrox, that was X-Factor. This leads directly into the next three issues we're going to talk about from the adjectiveless X-Men book. But this is not an uncommon practice, especially today, but I think what is special about this book one is how comic booky it feels. This feels like a Marvel-ass book, whereas House of M felt like a, a more of a cinematic experience. And they're like, okay, this is like the the lofty aspirations of of the medium. This book, on the other hand, was just like, what if we made a fucking comic book-ass comic book? And they sure did. And it kind of felt like a like a series of demos, right? Like B sides for upcoming titles and upcoming plot threads that you could pick up uh, throughout X titles. And uh, we're going to talk about one of those right now. We're going to talk about X-Men 177. is the first of a three-part story called House Arrest. It comes out uh, this next week, November 9th, 2005. It is written by Peter Milligan. It is uh, penciled by Salvador LaRocca. It is inked by Danny Mickey. And it is colored by Liquid Color. 
Lorna Dane, the daughter of Magneto, stares at herself in the mirror, wondering how she's supposed to tell her friends that she's lost her mutant gifts and is no longer able to help them the way she was, when suddenly she's called outside as Sentinels descend upon the school. The X-Men immediately dive into action against these hated symbols of mutant oppression, but these Sentinels are bigger and tougher than what they're used to dealing with. Bobby and Lorna are on the sidelines watching the fight go down when Bobby decides, powers or not, he has to do something and rushes into battle. Elsewhere on the grounds, the human insurgents from the previous issue, uh, the, the Sapien League, uh, seem somehow more afraid of their new leader, a young woman wearing what's basically a hockey mask than they are of the X-Men or the giant robots they're warring against. From Cerebro, Emma tries to tell Scout that these Sentinels are different, but nobody has the time to listen to her. Lorna, hoping her powers will come back in a fight or flight moment, gets picked up and dropped by a Sentinel when she bumps into her old friend, Valerie Cooper. X-Men 178 comes out uh, two weeks later, two and a half weeks later, whatever. Uh, November 30th, 2005 is also written by Peter Milligan, also penciled by Salvador La Roca, inked by Danny Mickey, and colored by Liquid Color. Convinced that his ex-girlfriend Lorna was killed by the Sentinel, the mutant Havoc fights off the reassuring arm of his brother Cyclops. Ignoring his call to stand down at Emma's request, Havoc charges the Sentinel in the surprise that Emma had previously revealed is that we're shown a pilot inside the Sentinel. They're giant mechs now. They're not just mindless robots. We got full-on Gundams in the Marvel Universe. What an exciting time. Valerie Cooper tries to comfort her friend Lorna about her powers and is amazed she's been able to keep the secret from her teammates this long. Before long, however, Valerie Cooper makes her presence known to the other X-Men and stresses that she's there to help them. Bobby, still looking for his girlfriend Lorna in the woods, is confronted by a soldier from the Office of National Emergency who doesn't believe that Bobby is a mutant. Held at gunpoint, Bobby manages to escape, proving he's not entirely useless even without his powers. The pilots of the Sentinels reveal themselves and try to smooth things over with the X-Men, but it doesn't go well. Cyclops has been fighting those things since he was 15 years old and finds their presence at his school offensive, but Valerie stresses that they're there to stay, and they're there for mutant protection in light of M-Day. The Sapien League plans their attack, saying that this is the moment to finally beat the X-Men, that they're at their weakest, and that this school is their spiritual home. Breaking it is all that's needed to crush them once and for all. Flawed logic. It's not like this is the first time the mansion has been blown up, and it, as you know, will not be the last. Tensions flare between the X-Men and the Office of National Ur Emergency. Uh, we're just going to call that one from now on. And I'm going to try to stress it in a weird accent, just so you know what I'm talking about. Uh, when the Sapien League finally launch their attack, Bobby gets captured by their leader and is about to be executed. Emma tells Cyclops and Havoc where he is, and she uses Cerebro to navigate his mind, and just as the leader pulls the trigger, Bobby's Iceman powers reappear, saving his life. X-Men 179 comes out December 14th, 2005, again written by Peter Milligan, penciled by Salvador La Roca, inked by Danny Mickey, and colors by Liquid Color. The Leper Queen, the, the leader of the insurgents known as the Sapien League, manages to escape with frost damage to her arm. More Morlocks are on the school ground and happen across her, falling victim to her savagery and disdain. The Sapien League press their attack, but the X-Men are scattered all over campus. Finally, Cyclops returns, blasting away armed vehicles from a beleaguered Wolverine and Lorna, saving them. Iceman is happy his powers returned and goes haywire on them, and even the Sentinels get involved trying to stop this attack on the school. 
Valerie and Cyclops argue over the merit and intentions of these Sentinel pilots because while they're defending the school in a technical sense, they're causing massive collateral damage and don't seem to care if they hurt mutants in the process, including Cyclops. Elsewhere, the mutant villain Mystique is pulling off a heist job with a mutant named Pulse, someone she hopes she can set her daughter Rogue up with and break her and Gambit up once and for all. Also elsewhere, a discovery in Egypt prompts both excitement and fear from an archaeological team. Also, there's a scene on a space station where some vaguely familiar silhouette of a character uh, returns. <laughs> a Peter Milligan fan favorite uh, that unfortunately I don't think we're going to talk about. Anyway, these scenes have no relevance to the story right now, but they're threads that will be picked up on uh, by Milligan and LaRocca in the near future. Uh, it's, it's dupe. It's the weird Slimer-esque ghost thing from uh, whatever that book was. The Excellent Extreme. What, what, yeah, the Michael Allred book, you guys know what I'm talking about. Anyways, back at the mansion, it's discovered that Bobby repressed his own mutant power subconsciously, so afraid of losing it in M-Day. Seeing what happened to Bobby, Lorna finally admits that she lost her powers as well, to absolutely no one's surprise. She asks if Emma can turn her powers back on in a similar way, but unfortunately, she's just straight up depowered because of House of M. Distraught, she makes the hard decision to leave the X-Men, and Havoc, not Bobby, decides to go with her. So this is a cute little arc. Um, honestly, I just wanted to revisit Salvador LaRocca's pencils. They were very controversial at the time, and I think it was mostly probably because of the coloring, because he gets a different colorist going forward, like on the Invincible Iron Man book in a few years, and uh, that book is like really well regarded and is shit right now on Darth Vader, or not now, but like from 2015 on the Darth Vader book. It's probably some of the best work of his career, and so I wanted to revisit I actually really like the pastel coloring. I want to talk about that in a little bit with Fabio, but excited to revisit this book. In an upcoming book, there's a little art called Bizarre Love Triangle, where we get the fallout with uh, Rogue and, and Gambit and Mystique, and then there's a reappearance of Apocalypse. That was the, the little hint about shit going on in Egypt. And I might cover that on like a special episode. I'm, I'm thinking about doing shorter episodes where I don't really read a, a summary, but just kind of go off the cuff to talk about books that sort of fill in the, the blank spaces from like the bigger books I want to have like real conversations about. But anyways, I've talked to myself enough. I'm going to cut it here to the conversation I had with Fabio. Thank you again to Bugatti Elroy for the sweet, sweet tunes that uh, helped me feel less alone up here as I was reciting this story and thanks again to fabio again please hit us up on social media at shortbox summary this is coming out the friday of baltimore comic-con if you were there please have fun please enjoy please say hello to my friends richard fairgray uh stokes um and, and so many others pat shand uh so many talented people at baltimore in the indie section please give them a shout and we will be back in your ears right now <laughs> Hello, internet, and welcome back to Short Box Summary. I took I took a few months off, and fuck, was it really cool? And I'm back in Studio H with the only person I'd want to welcome this show back with. We've got Fabio returning after a long time away. Fabio, how you doing, man? Feeling great. I love the new studio. It feels really good in here. I like the refrigerator you put in. Yeah, nice. yeah. There's always, there's new snacks. They open up a Costco near me. So yeah. fi finally get those chocolate covered almonds that everyone loves so much. Yep. No, I appreciate it. It's uh, a class. <laughs> Look out, NBC. We're coming for you. Yeah. Fabio, you read 
the books that took place immediately after House of M. So House of M was like our big, like, I'm going to call it season one finale, I guess. And, uh, or like maybe not season one finale, maybe it's just like mid-season break, you know, like right before the holidays. And then I asked you to come back in and then you read House of M Decimation the day after. Or sorry, Decimation House of M the day after. Number one is a one shot. And then I asked you to read three issues of X-Men. Uh, I believe it was 177, 178, and 179. And 180. And 181. I don't believe you had to read those. I think it was just a three-part story. Oh, oh okay. Look <laughs> at you. Above and beyond. I only read those three. Yeah. <laughs> I only read the, the house arrest story. Yeah, I read up until, um, I think, issue 81. Uh, which, yeah, 181 was the last issue I read. Oh damn! Okay, that makes yeah, sense. I went I te- a little bit further. That makes sense. I texted you earlier, like I'm still reading. I was like, I don't think it was that much. I thought it was just like, <laughs> as you read like a hundred pages, I thought you would have been done by now. Okay, that makes perfect sense. Um, I'm sorry, probably not going to talk about those issues today. Uh, just going to talk. Just going to talk about the first three. But Fabio, you, I, you, I know you've read House of M in the past, right? Yes, and I All read right. um the uh day after as well, like that follow okay. up. A long time. I forgot I had read that. Didn't know what it was until I started reading it for this. And then, yeah, I'd read that one, but I never read the following story. I didn't realize that it continued, I think. <laughs> yeah. All right. This, um, I think part of the reason I want to take a break is because there's such like a big tonal shift between House of M and this book. I think House of M feels like a, like a movie, right? Like it was very, very, very slick, very beautiful presentation. This feels like editorial management this feels like all right like now we got to set up the next six months and so th- i think that's the probably the cleanest way to say what uh decimation house of M the day after is where it's like taking stock of everything resetting the status quo in in some places just to give people a better idea of uh upcoming book directions and so i actually i just want to start off really really simply with the beginning of this book um i never cared for the blob as a character right no no no, I never never really gave a shit. I think he was the second boss you fight in X-Men Legends back in back in the day on, on GameCube and Xbox and PS2. But I never liked him. I thought he was kind of an asshole boss. And so because of that, I think I really let that shape my opinion of him. Did, did you feel any sympathy for, for the blob here as he was trying to kill my himself God. but couldn't? <laughs> Dude, it is horrifying that they put that on paper. Like, that is just such a... I mean... I don't know if you'd already described it or not, but it's um, it's really hard to watch somebody hurt themselves <laughs> in a comic, apparently. Yeah, especially somebody that looks the way that they do, you know. Uh, well, yeah. So just all the all the roles on him, right? Because like he lost his mutant power. <laughs> yeah, so Deadpool's an amazing movie. The, or what was it X Men? Wait, which movie was that? With that had uh the last stand was X Men three it was X Men three, um, yeah I know it was a great great incarnation of Blob but this ain't the same one no no this one's really sad uh I think this one it, this is the most I've ever cared about the Blob to be completely honest is just seeing him do the, like seeing him want to kill himself fail trying to stab himself but there's too much skin for him to do anything and then he asks the cop who like the security guard he like comes in to check to make sure he's okay ask him for his gun because he needs something stronger than that absolutely harrowing shit and this is just the tip of the iceberg this is what everyone is referring to as m day or the day after m day and um jesus christ 
are we seeing a lot? Uh, this book was done by written by Rob Hunter, Norm Ratman. Oh no, I'm so sorry, I, I misspoke. Uh, it is by Chris Claremont, Randy Green, and Aaron Lepresti. Uh, it is inked by Rob Hunter, Norm Ratman, Don Hillman, with colors by Lair Molinar with Avalon, lettering by Virtual Calligraphy. Uh, and I'm not going to read the editor's names, but. I don't think this is a very good book. I gotta be honest. I think this is everything I actually didn't like about comics at the era. I think the pencils mm -hmm. are strange. Granted, it was a bunch of different artists working in tandem to put out a 40-page book, you know, right after a big event. But so much of, like, the light inking and, like, the light lining and the, uh, the pastel colors and digital coloring, I just don't think was quite there yet. I think some people were really good at the digital coloring. I don't think this team is especially good. But the content of this book is a uh, pretty interesting because they basically shut down everything that had been going on in X-Men the past couple years and reset it for this new era of X-Men. So you got Blob being like our little window into what's going on to the mutant community at large. It was a character you probably hadn't thought about in a long time. Character probably like us, you don't even like that much. But just seeing the, the travesty that has befell him after House of M, we immediately cut to Mutant Town after that. And uh, it's, there's like American Red Cross sense, everyone's setting up because uh, they have no idea what happened to all the mutants, but they just know that they've lost all their powers. And so it's showing the, the breadth of, of destruction and chaos and heartbreak and everything. At the time, there was this thing called X-Corp, which I believe was created by Grant Morrison during their run on, on New X-Men a couple years earlier. Um, and then we just see like a suicide truck driver blow up the fucking lobby of the building and all that comes crashing down so everything that had been normal for the x-men for the past couple of years is quite literally gone in just a matter of pages now yeah, i don't know it's, it's, i don't know how plugged in you were did did it have any effect on you <laughs> no i mean i'd say them like because this was a time i'd say house of them came out it, at least that I know of, there wasn't like a whole lot of like this whole now now in media today, like Scarlet Witch changes the MCU every fucking two days. Like it doesn't matter. Right? Like, but at the time for me, that felt pretty significant. And what I found interesting about the final the the follow-up the day after was the like psychic damage that you can see that these like people were going through that had like were mutants um and they had lost all their powers like between the blob and i don't know who that girl is we're eating roaches but <laughs> like she like needs to feed on insects and now the insects are feeding on her now that she can't eat them anymore like it's it's messed up like mm -hmm. i think that the artwork didn't do it too much um uh grace i think was especially with house of them having such strong art yeah it was just such an interesting um style but this it i definitely wish it was like a little bit differently um because i think that like what was written here was really heavy um and yeah it was nice to see a little bit of that insight of like what would it feel like to suddenly you know lose that one thing <laughs> even mm -hmm. if that thing is horrible and gross you know um what i didn't understand though is why the blob was it was he just pissed because he didn't lose his mutant powers like everybody else what was his oh he did lose his mutant powers but like his his powers was like i i guess it was like under his skin right and so like his because skin it stretched so much that his it, skin is stretched so much and then it yeah. was just like there and so it, I, I think there's like a I see, that makes surgery sense. for okay. that um that's all over his body though like he's got like 
the saggiest cheek I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Yeah, he's gonna <laughs> but, have to wear wear a lot of like leggings and stuff just to keep everything yeah. where it should be. Yeah. No, it's it's such like a like holy shit, like never thought I'd feel bad for the blob, but here we are, you know. It was hard enough being a mutant. Like it was hard enough to like have those desires, those feelings, those urges, whatever, you know, was coming up to them, especially with like needing to feed on insects. That's heavy. <laughs> but yeah. like how much weirder it is that 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 now is just stripped from them like in an instant. You know, that's that's like the a weird uh, fallout that I'm glad that they at least covered. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's it. Like, I, I gotta be honest, like, I wasn't reading all of the X-Books when this was coming out, and I didn't feel like yeah. rereading all the X-Books uh, <laughs> in, in preparation for this. So I didn't read, like, the, I believe it was called Mutant X was the, the title. It was about, like, Bishop being, like, sheriff, basically, in, like, the, the mutant town of New York. Uh, and so, like, all these characters, like, it was just kind of, like, heart, you're right, just, I, I have no other word for it besides heartbreaking, just to see, like, their yeah. lives that were, like, so unique and so weird, but, like, made perfect sense, and, like, actually see their lives no longer make sense to them. Uh, that That is really effective in this book. And there, there are other books that kind of do this, where it does feel like, um, like a, uh, how do I want to put this, almost like a trailer for shit to come. I think this book is honestly one of the better books I've, I've read in that regard it's like up there with probably countdown to infinite crisis where like that book was broken down into like five chapters to show like the four different mini series that were about to pop off after that book that were going to dovetail into infinite crisis this book i think is actually pretty seamless the way it connects the mutant community and i say that because we go to the office of national emergency and we see this character named valerie cooper who is like the federal government liaison i guess for mutant affairs and so we see her talk to a boss and like she's getting orders. We're still a little unclear what it is, but like it's pretty, pretty smooth transition from that into uh, X Factor. We got Jamie Madrox and Rain and, and Guido, uh, strong guy, like all these characters that are pretty well known, like probably like B tier characters for for, you know, X-Men comic fans. Um, like they get a phone call and all of a sudden it's like, oh shit. Yeah. There is an X factor book that comes out of this. And so like introducing these characters, introducing new problems for these people to deal with, like even like storm being like, yeah, I'm not going to come back. Like I got to deal with shit in Africa. Like they have even fewer mutant resources than, than New York does. Like I can't come back also. Like I disagree with you on what the direction should be for uh, going forward. And like, I don't want to seem like I'm just like splitting leadership there. So I'll That's be over here. Fair, I'll be, Storm. I'll be over here. Call me if Scott uh, sucks. <laughs> Scott does suck. Scott's about to not suck. I really do like this era for Scott, to be honest. I think what's probably most confusing about the X books at this time is there's an X Men title, there's an Uncanny X Men title, and then there's an Astonishing X Men title. And the Astonishing X Men—that's the book that yeah. we've talked about on here before. Uh, Sean and Nella has come on. I think three times, I think we're about to get to like the last arc of that, but want to wait a little bit. But that was considered like the main X book at the time because it was the best selling. It had Joss Whedon before his um, fall from grace, I guess, uh, is the nice way to talk about him. He was a sex pest. Um, and then it had John Cassidy, who was, you know, like one of the more popular artists at the time. And that was like basically a sequel to the Grant Morrison era, X, New X-Men. And so that became the main X book and they, they were just kind of interested in telling like their own sort of independent stories. But like these books are where like the greater Marvel continuity sort of comes into play. 
And uh, yeah, it just moves between all these characters and sets up shit that's about to pop off in other books. And we see, you know, Beast start being a scientist. We see um, Pietro, we see Quicksilver just saying, I only wanted what was best. Like he's having like a mental breakdown about what's happening now because everything in House of M was kind of his fault. We see Jubilee in Los Angeles who is skateboarding through an abandoned mall, which I don't know how abandoned uh, malls were in 2005 2006 yeah that's a now thing they were yeah yeah seriously uh the insight for for these characters um i don't know this book just feels like a good old nerdy x-men book i'm like looking at the page right now where colossus and wolverine are like fighting the sapien league a new set of terrorists that are like seeing this as like a sign or whatever right to yeah to take out the mutant menace once and for all and like this just looks like late 90s x-men shit in a in a positive way i think because i'm pretty sure these are aaron lepresti pages just the way the uh way the physique is drawing colossus he's just a big old beefcake he just looks great (laughs) um and then it and then it ends with these giant fucking sentinels landing down on uh, on X Men's front yard. But yeah, Fabio, like at a whole, how do we feel about this book? I think it's okay. Um, the only issue I have with it is, I, I like, and I wasn't there at the time. And I don't know how much it matters now, but like, this feels like a pretty big set piece for what will spin off into like twenty different X books. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's like the only thing that like I, I'm not sure like continuity wise like was this how big of a a moment was this I don't know if you recall like after House of M changed everything I'm pretty sure this book came out a week after the last issue of House of M so that's that you time. like you got to sit with it for a bit and then everything got to spin off I wasn't even buying like the main X books at the time I was about to start buying them because uh they announced like new creative teams were coming on and they announced like new story directions for what was about to happen but like this book really just seemed like a cleaning house moment where it was like okay let's gut some things let's blow up other things let's try to get people excited about x-men because uh i'm pretty sure at the time like they were third tier selling books like spider-man was obviously still number one but like this was when avengers were ascending it became the most popular team book at marvel and like a lot of that was because they had david finch on art and because they had brian michael bendis the hot new voice who you know made daredevil so incredible the guy who wrote house of m but i do think it's interesting how like a book that was basically about mutants was written by the avengers guy and then kind of like he just fucked off from x-men after that like the only x characters he really cared about were wolverine bendis yeah, because like he was he was writing Wolverine and Avengers, but like he wasn't writing X Men at the time. He was just writing Avengers and oh, Spider Man yeah. and shit. Because he came back, right? He did like the all new X Men. Oh yeah, but that was like ten years after this, yeah, which is right, which right. is really funny. Like he just like came in, like kicked open the door of of the X Mansion, and just like you know threw a fucking grenade in there, and then just left. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm curious. What I'm curious about is the um. Like how things work internally. I don't know, like what you know about it, but are how far in advance are like these teams kind of working together, making sure their shit's to like set straight for the next you know five years. <laughs> like how are they kind of organizing that whenever they're gonna do like reboots or just like ultimately shake things up? Um, how much does that like come into play? 
Is it like kind of like a last minute thing? Like quickly, we got to do something. Our numbers are down. We got to do some crazy shit. <laughs> or is it like, you know, a calculated move most of the time? I have tried so hard to get editors onto this show before. And unfortunately, just like timing wise, it's just never worked out. I think they plan it pretty far in advance because like this was around the time I remember like I was reading Wizard Magazine at this point. I remember them talking about summits that they would do. And this is like when they started referring to like over at DC, they referred to Jeff Johns, Mark Wade, Grant Morrison and Greg Rucka as like the architects of, of DC. And like you started reading about like these Marvel retreats where it's like, you know, the biggest writers at the time and like the biggest artists would just like come in and hang out for like a long weekend or a week or something. And would just kind of like bang out like an outline of like where they think the Marvel universe should go for like the next year or two. And then all of a sudden, like you have to figure out the details after, but like the grand strokes are all sort of done at once. And then people circle back and, you know, each take their, their little slice of pizza that they get to work with for the next couple months. Uh, Like I'm pretty sure like J. Michael Straczynski actually had like a big hand in this era of Marvel, even though he was like only writing the amazing Spider-Man book, but shit's about to pop off over there. So it makes sense, I guess. But yeah, yeah it just man. seems like a lot of coordination between how many different writers and how many different storylines going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, it just breaks my brain that they're able to like people say the Bible is like, Oh, it has to be true because you know, all the 40 books make sense together. But also, look at Marvel. (laughs) (laughs) If they can get it. Right. It's just saying something, that's all. Uh, But yeah, House of Them, it's a cool book. Uh, um, I really liked the full, like, storyline. I think this was a perfect way to end it. Even if you decide to, like, not continue with it, I think it's just a good way to leave an open ending as to what their future could be. Like, even if you don't keep reading. Yeah. And there's... Like, I think there's a recent book, I can't remember, it was like Marvel Point One or something, right? Like, they do that every couple, every year or so. They'll release, like, a big oversized book for 10 bucks, and it's just kind of like, usually there's, like, an omniscient narrator connecting all these stories, but it's, like, the first five pages of a new Captain America book, and then the first five pages of the Blade book or whatever, and it's just everything sort of hodgepodge together, just to give you, like, a taste of of what's coming from all these books uh i think this book trailers yeah exactly yeah Yeah. i think this book does a really good job of not feeling gross like that like this didn't feel like marketing material to me for other books like the cynic in me wants to call it that but it actually felt like it had an objective it actually felt like it had some some pathos to it you know like everything seemed intentional and deliberate and not like Hey kids, get ready for an all new X Factor coming to you soon. But like, it really was like Jamie Madrox, like, no, dude, like, we're kind of needed here. And so, like, that's why it was just like a phone call. You know, I think that's what it is. Like, I think the fact that like not everyone got six pages to talk about their spiel and like what they're about now, the fact that it was so quick and and, and almost trite at some points, like, I, th- I think it was really effective in making it feel like a genuine book. Yeah. And I think it was a good explanation as to why we were stuck with fucking Scott. For so long because everyone was like i'm not coming back storm was like nah i'm gonna do my own thing in my country like you're not everything i didn't know you, everyone's I did, missing i didn't know you hated now scott this is so why much. i didn't know you hated it's scott not, so much it's not that you had you we like scott and you know like now you know you have to deal with it's like no this is why you have to deal with him <laughs> it's because no one else wanted to step up 
<laughs> it's not that we wanted to give it to him. It's just everyone else was busy. Um, I don't like Scott very much. Yeah, no, I can tell. How long have you not liked Scott? What was the uh, what was the inciting incident for you not liking Scott? Um, there's been a few moments. <laughs> there's been a few moments. Um, I think he's too whiny. First off, definitely too whiny. Um, he has this like leadership uh mentality that like no one really asked for like he kind of just takes command of a lot of stuff and i don't think he makes a lot of good calls a lot of times i think he makes a lot of mistakes and i i appreciate his passion um (laughs) but he uh he makes a lot of bad calls you're not his teacher filling out a report card. Like you don't, you don't have to like, you know, do like a criticism sandwich where you say like two nice things for every one bad thing. He sucks you, shit, George. Yeah, there it is. Okay. That's all I was looking for. <laughs> the only cool thing Scott's ever done was use his laser beam in Marvel versus Capcom two. That's like, that's about it. And like have massive muscles. Like that was pretty fucking cool. But other than that, like I, as a character, his personality, just not my favorite. Okay. He's not my favorite. Yeah. All good, all good. Um, we're gonna switch gears. There is a three-part story called House Arrest that took place in the adjective list X-Men book. Uh, that is from issues 177, 178, 179. Uh, these books are written by Peter Milligan with pencils by Salvador LaRocca, inks by Danny Mickey, and colors by Liquid Color. Uh, they came out November 9th, November 30th, and December 14th, respectively. I fucking hated this I'm book. I'm so torn. I'm I hate... so torn on the art. Oh, here we go. I hated this book when it first came out. I thought, it like, when I was in high school, I was just like, oh, man, this is boring. Why isn't this as cool as Astonishing X-Men? I really like this book, rereading it, and I fucking love the art so much. So Salvador LaRocca, I don't even think it's, like, his pencils that are the problem here, right? I think it is the coloring. I think it's liquid color. I think this is such a rebuke to, like, the poppy, explosive loud shit that was happening in the late 90s because everything here is like kind of muted and kind of pastel-y right yeah and I'm, i think i like that but i think mixed with the art style it makes it look baby if that makes sense yeah For, at first glance there's some parts that like are incredible but then other parts where like the shading is really off to me Mm-hmm. and it just doesn't work with like i don't know it's just for me it's just not it's not my favorite take on the x-men well a lot of it's the lighting too which i think kind of makes sense because like you're a big video game guy you remember when the yeah. xbox 360 came out and like everything was so fucking shiny in the video game that you've never seen shiny before like uh like a car hood or something you're like wow look at the light bouncing off that you couldn't do that on the playstation 2 kind of deal right right and it's just like wow that light is so bright but everything else on like early 360 games was so fucking muddy and gross muddy that's what i'm thinking yeah and so i think it's like this where i think the pastels are kind of like flat-ish right like the 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 colors are kind of flattish but then like the lighting is so like rounded and detailed and like the pencils are even kind of detailed i'm looking at page page five here and we got wolverine diving towards a sentinel and, like, his muscles are, like, rippling. Like, there's just a whole bunch of things that, like, I'm not sure are real muscles. Um, like, I, I hope not, because otherwise I am severely <laughs> underwhelming in the muscle department. But I just, like, there's all these, like, ripples and stuff. And it just, like, because of, like, the way those. it's colored. But, like, if those were all, like, straight lines and, like, kind of angular and, like, maybe a little flatter looking, like a like a Michael Allred 
or something. Like, I think this would be like one of the prettiest books that ever existed. I still really like it. And I love the paneling that Salvador LaRocca does. Like I am so, so into this book now. And I love how sparse everything is. There's like one speech bubble per panel. And it's like Pete Milligan actually yeah. understands like, oh no, like comics were supposed to be kind of snappy and whatever. like you're not getting bogged down really with um with exposition on any page here. I really like the Sentinels. I think that that's like the best design in this book. Oh yeah. So this is, this was the big, big change here. There was uh it's called one, the office of national emergency. And they are, I think this is such an interesting book for, for what they're doing, but like having them turn into Gundams, I was immediately on board. <laughs> yeah. Um, on board for that. Uh, also on board for the Bobby uh, hate train as well. God, I hate, I don't know who I hate more. Bobby, I guess. I no, guess I, I hate Bobby more than Scott. What is so there's he's the worst. He's always the worst. This entire story, he was like clear, like perfect Bobby. That is exactly how Bobby is all, all the time. Iceman for those. Yeah, Bobby Drake. Uh, yeah, I, he's I, he's so whiny. Personality-wise, at this point in time, he was basically Johnny Storm from the Fantastic Four, right? Like, he's just like, I just care about doing cool shit and macking on chicas down down at the docks. You know, like, he all he wanted to do is just, like, get laid and live, like, that radical tubular lifestyle. Which is funny, because that's exactly like Johnny Storm, except they have opposite powers. And then this segment, I, I think what's so interesting here is you got Lorna, who's the daughter of Magneto, who's, like, lost her mutant powers, right? She could also control magnet. uh, the mag magnetic fields just like her dad and so she's sitting here struggling with like an identity crisis where she's like wants to be the hero but doesn't have powers and is like trying to figure out like how to be a hero without her powers and like how to tell people she feels so significantly less than than what she was before because she doesn't have powers anymore and bobby's still throwing himself into the thick of it even though he doesn't have powers he's like fuck it man doesn't take powers to be a hero and he's wearing his goddamn hawaiian t-shirt and just like <laughs> trying to fight a sentinel who's like i don't know 65 feet tall like they're pretty fucking big in this book they're a lot bigger they comment on that and uh just the imagery i guess of of sentinels being like the, the they're the embodiment of mutant hate right like yeah. The idea that like, oh, government constructed robots, you know, created to round up and destroy mutants. And the fact that like the government sent them there to protect the X-Men, where it's like, I sent my entire life fighting this shit. And now I have to fucking stare at one every single day as it stands guard over me. I think that is like such a powerful message that maybe wasn't hit home the best here. But if you read between the lines, if you're reading into like the greater context of what's going on, I think that is just extremely powerful shit. Yeah, yeah um fucking bobby <laughs> fucking bobby man he just he's in the way all the time um yeah i don't know I'm a fan of him but uh yeah i i again with the art it was like okay i i don't really think I just, it was my favorite um book out of this series mm -hmm. i don't think it was like i think the next like two books were a little bit better but okay. um but yeah, I I really didn't like a lot <laughs> about the characters. Like Bobby was just so annoying. Honestly, they could have just ran him out and it would have been a better book. 
he had no like consequence on anything. Did you like him pretending to be with the Homo Sapien League? Is that what they were called? Like the 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 anti mutant militia that just he's like I'm the, I'm their chef. Yeah, I just work on school grounds. I spit in their soup every day. <laughs> he's Pregozin in the X Men. <laughs> I'm just a catering guy. Don't worry about it. I mean, I I do uh, want to point out very specifically though this cover to X Men One Seventy Eight, which is one of my favorite fucking covers of all time. Bobby, take a look. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like a Wolverine on top of the mutant. Uh, sorry, on top of the Sentinel. And just like sparking the shit out of the top of his head, and like just the entire like the lights only coming from the Sentinel's eyes and from the sparks from from the wiring that Wolverine's exposing. One of the coolest fucking covers. Um, absolutely love it. And I do love that like they took the the House of M like banners that signified like a House of M tie-in because it was just like you know red and white stripes with like a blue square at the top with the House of Magnus logo. And yeah, like yeah. that going down the uh, the upper left, like the left column of the book, and then turning that into decimation was just like the tattered flag remains of the house of M. I I thought that was pretty pretty good shit. Um, yeah, that is. There's good. there's one other really interesting moment in this book where um, like so it's revealed that uh, these sentinels have pilots, right? Like they're no longer just like. No chance for rogue AI. There's like accountable. Yeah, everyone was warning them. She was like, "No, no, they're definitely humans." And Scott was just like, "Fuck off!" <laughs> like, I'm looking at them, they're pretty, not fucking head. human. Uh, they're 800 feet tall. Eyeglasses. Shut up. <laughs> that was it. That's all he said. He didn't give a shit. Also, why are they all red now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh... But they they introduce themselves like the pilots basically, and there's one scene where there's like a white pilot talking to a black pilot, and uh, he's like he's like, hey man, don't you feel like you should be a little nicer to them? You know, like one minority to another. And the black pilot's like, what are you talking about? I'm not a minority. I'm a human. They're mutant. And so just seeing like the the tiers of racism that exists within the uh, yeah. the Marvel universe and just like reaffirming that it's like oh no like maybe a lot of race relations are solved because of the existence of mutants it's not great I'm not I'm not defending them it's just like fuck like what a what a messed up world that like <laughs> there will always be others George yeah God it's so disappointing yeah and sometimes there's others of others and that makes it even worse yeah. for the others <laughs> how to how do you feel about uh, the the main villain, like the the leader, I guess, of like the Sapien League, just being a woman with like a winter coat and a so old, fucking old, boring, dude. old hockey mask? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like that clear like old story where it's like mutants killed my daughter, <clears throat> but like that wasn't the case at all. Like it, it, I, the entire time, I was like, oh, well, you know, like there's some, uh, like I get it. Like you know, if mutants killed her daughter, you know, like maybe something weird happened. There's some mutants that were, you know, obviously doing some fucked up shit um, with their powers. And in this case, it was just that her daughter kept starting fires and then burned the whole house down. And I'm guessing like the house crushed her kid or something. Yeah um and then burned her face and so she wears like a stupid hockey mask and uh has this clear code of ethics 
<laughs> I don't know if this, I don't know if I read past the the point I, I shouldn't have, but she has this clear code of ethics, she says. And she takes her mask, well, first she takes her mask off and shows what like happened to her face. And she's with a guy who like, they're helping each other get through this forest. And she takes her mask off and she's like, well, shit, you saw my face, gotta kill you. <laughs> and then just darts off, kills him and darts off. Like it's the weirdest, she's so dumb. I'm glad you shared that because I'm not even going to cover those books on this podcast. <laughs> I'm glad people oh, got. Okay. I'm glad people got uh, some some sense of closure from you. <laughs> yeah, she never gets any better. Like it's she's not she's not great. She thinks that mutants took her daughter, but her daughter. Oh, and she also believes that like somebody gave her daughter mutant powers, mm-hmm. which is probably not true, right? Like they're just born with it. Yeah. So it's not the case. Uh yeah, it's it's interesting. They're using their radio waves to turn our kids gay. Well, <laughs> like, they were the same shit. It was it was members <laughs> of the safety league talking about like I heard they were doing experiments on on babies and turning them into mutants in there, and it really doesn't yeah, feel yeah. that fucking different than Q these days, right? And so I guess it's disappointing that like the, this idea of like just such a, a vulnerable and susceptible person to just the smallest about amount of like anti X Y Z propaganda. You know, like, it doesn't take a lot to wind up the car and, and just, like, watch it go. And so, right. I guess it's one of those things where <laughs> it's disappointing. It's like, oh, so, like, I guess it's not the internet's fault, because people were always this gullible, <laughs> I guess, and, like, this, this like, looking for a reason to hate. And so, it's just disappointing to see. Um, how pissed were you? Yeah, when... it turns out nowadays is actually just 2005's X-Men. <laughs> That's basically what we're dealing with. How pissed were you when Bobby got his powers back? Uh, so boring, you know, because like <laughs> he didn't actually lose his powers all along. He was just so anxious about the thought of losing his powers that he made himself lose his powers. Hey, I get like, that. God damn it, dude. I get that. I really do. Where like I had such bad heartburn one day where like I thought I was having a heart attack. You know, and so it's one of those things where, like, oh, I could have actually given myself a heart attack by just thinking I had a heart attack. I'm like, oh, that sucks. Yeah. That's stupid. You um, can will things. Hey, that's what uh, Tom DeLong talks about all the time. Right? Like, if, if you will something into existence, there's more of a chance of it happening. Like, if you, like, think about it hard enough. Mm-hmm. You know? If he's right about everything, then that's got to be true. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. right about me and heart attacks. You can create he's right matter about, with your mind. Right about heart attacks. He's right about... uh bobby's ice powers <laughs> coming back yeah yeah he predicted that uh he predicted bobby's ice powers to be really gross and like just just like a huge ice dick hard on mm-hmm. that he it's, must have had yeah no that's the official that. term yeah. yeah like imagine his boner his ice boner when he like became all icicled again that would have been so embarrassing yeah, I agree. I would have been embarrassed too if I got my <laughs> like, ice powers back and just was just just hanging out, you know? Don't want yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, because everything like just shot out all over the place, just ice everywhere. So I mean he must have been embarrassed. Well it's kind of funny too, because I was just he looking at that pi- I was just looking at that picture again where he got his powers back. And it does look like uh, his like short buttons are a little unbuttoned at the top, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's um, the one. <laughs> so I think this is the most comic book style X Men book we've talked about on this on this podcast yet, 
And I gotta be honest, like as much as I love like the the giant epic scope and the 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 crazy beautiful detailed art and like the singular story where it, it's kind of more about the destination with yeah. um with the Joss Whedon and John Cassidy book. There's something really fun about reading this style of X-Men book where it is just like dumb soap opera adjacent storytelling, right? Where it does feel like it's moving pretty fast. Um, the significant part here, I guess, is that like Alex and Lorna decide they're going to leave the X-Men and that becomes critically important in the uh. other X- That becomes critically important in the other X-Men book, which is a book I'm absolutely going to talk about here. I'm very excited. That's the, they go to outer space. It's the rise and fall of the Shi'ar Fucking Empire. Gloob. What's his name? I think it's Gloop. Bob. Bob. Gloop. Got. Dupe. It's it's Dupe. Dupe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, he goes by many names, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> that's a that's a good point. Yeah. Saw him. Saw him for half <laughs> a second know. on telescope. Um, I'm struggling to remember other details of this era because I again like no one kind of gave a shit about the X Men at this point. Like it really was like Astonishing X Men was the book everyone was reading, and like I. T- Avengers was, was like the the hot team book at Marvel. Like no one gave a shit about it, so it kind of felt like they had the the creative freedom to just sort of do whatever they wanted. And uh, Pete Milligan, I think, did you read when you read like those further issues? Was that like when Apocalypse showed up? And yeah, yeah, that's what I was trying to confirm. I was like, that was Apocalypse, right? Um, yeah, and because I didn't, I want to keep reading next issue after the uh, that whole alien part where mm-hmm. apocalypse showed up it's called blood of apocalypse and it yeah. looks dope and i never read it before so i want to okay uh, i mean if you want to read and cover it on the show we absolutely can so yeah oh and or, this or, leads into messiah complex or if you just want to read it and we can just talk about it not for the show we could do that too um yeah so i'm building up towards messiah complex i'm very excited okay I feel rejuvenated after taking all that time off. I think I took like six or seven weeks off. I feel fucking great. Yeah, you need it. You're a person. You live a life. Yeah. You have a Boston Celtics basketball hoop. I sure do. And I'm even wearing my Boston Celtics hat. And the season's going to start soon. And yeah, man, it's going to be great. I sat down on... Center catching up. Oh, I love it. I, I sat down on Saturday and I mapped out the next like six months of the show and i'm very excited hell yeah that sounds great yeah any, <sighs> any anything you're most excited about little sneak preview um we're actually not that far off from civil war kicking off which i think is kind of interesting just like how quickly it shows did up did we do at... a civil war we did not do a civil war i thought we did a civil war no huh okay now we're in we're in 2005. I think Civil War doesn't start until like late 2006, early 2007. Like I think the I think there okay. was Yeah, it feels right. Or just mid 2006. So yeah. yeah, I never read Civil War 2. I only read the first one. Uh, I never read Civil War 2 either. That's when I was not reading comics cuz they looked Same. uh they looked pretty not good to me then. Um but I'm excited. Yeah. Only like 15 to 17 more years of the podcast before I catch up to Civil War 2, so it's right around the corner. Can't wait. <laughs> Um, of all the things, I'm actually looking forward to the most uh, covering a movie called American Splendor, which I'd never seen before. But never heard of that. That was based on Harvey Pekar, uh, who is like a Cleveland-based indie comic artist guy, and it stars Paul Giamatti, who I fucking love. 
I think he got nominated or he won for this movie, like Best Actor. So I'm excited to finally check that out and cross it off the list. But yeah, that's that's what that's what we're looking forward to. Um, but yeah, a lot of excellent books yeah, coming up. A lot of excellent books coming up. A lot of Avengers and random books coming up. I'm I'm excited, man. And then Civil War, um, early next year it looks like. So get ready, everybody. I don't like that full sentence. Oh yeah. <laughs> The in the book. comics the, the book the yes books, civil war civil war the book not <laughs> all right F- fabio any closing words on um uh, decimation house of them the day after or x-men house arrest the three-parter we covered uh, um i think it's a good segue into if it leads into house of what am i talking about um I already forgot what that book was called. If it leads into the story, Dark Messiah. Um, is it Dark Messiah? Messiah Complex. Messiah Complex. Thank you. Because yeah. um, I remember reading those books a really, really long time ago, and I never got to finish them, but I read a few of them because it branches off quite a bit. So I'm cur- I'm going to keep reading because um, this seems like it's starting to make a little more sense now from what I remember um, as to like how they got from where they were. Um, but yeah, I think it's a cool book. Um, if you want to hate Bobby and Scott, this is a great place to start. <laughs> I'm trying to think about when I started liking uh, Scott. It takes it takes a minute. It's like post-Messiah Complex. Yeah. When it, it was when I started what, really liking what him. What was it that Scott did that made you like him? There's like you know one, what I mean? There's, there's, there's <laughs> one page. We talked about it at length uh on an episode that sean and i did when we were talking about astonishing x-men but there's like one page where like a rogue sentinel shows up on the house and scott just like takes his visor off and it's just epic as shit um but i guess yeah i don't know him like mentally cheating on gene gray is kind of like scott what are you doing but i actually really like him and emma together i I prefer him and emma than him and gene to be completely honest yeah that's fair um honestly g i'm not a huge fan of gene either She's fine. She's cool, but yeah, I think the that whole situation was really messy, and with uh, Emma, it's a little cleaner. At least the way it was written in this series. Well, you always say that he's like such a whiner, and so I think you probably like him yeah. seeing him with such like, like in a more aggressive, assertive person. Yeah, because she could just tell him what to do, and then he just like he's like no, <laughs> so it doesn't really matter. But like, I at least appreciate Emma for the first time a little mm-hmm. bit more with her like having a little more control in the house. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of cool at this school. Yeah. But yeah, I'm curious to see where that goes because I'm not super familiar with like what happens from here. I didn't realize that she was like part of the X Men in this series. So cool. Sweet. Um, well, that about does it for Shortbox. Let us know what you think about the uh, the new format, about how trying to make it more of a conversation based show than uh, the detailed text reading with a with a friend. Because I I just want to talk to my friends about nerdy shit, and I felt like I wasn't really talking uh, with them as much as talking at them, and I didn't like that. So we're changing it up. Let us know what you think. Uh, if you have comments, hit us up at um, Shortbox Summary. You can. Or shortbox summary on Twitter on or X whatever the fuck it's called now, shortbox summary on Blue Sky, shortbox summary on Hive. I think I got drunk and made an account there too. Um, haven't opened that app in I don't quite. I know what that is. Quite a while. So, 
think we're also on like is it called homestead no mastodon mm, that sounds nice mastodon i think we're also on mastodon um def- definitely check my twitter though so just hit, hit us up there if you have any questions comments concerns Excellent. thank you so much for listening sorry for being gone so long but like i said got everything I have every episode planned out through december 30th right now and then i just need to go in and like you know twist some of the uh, the finer details for after that and then everything's lined up through march so gonna start being a regular show again can't friggin' wait cool yeah yeah uh, thank you for listening and we'll be back <laughs> in your ears next week fabio thank you so much for for being here thank you for helping yeah. us Thanks you know, just work work some of the kinks out. I haven't recorded a podcast in a minute. Started to forget what to do. Uh, so thank you. Yeah, thank you. Have a good day, everyone, whenever you're listening to this on that day. Love you. Bye. Bye.